Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for His sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join us today as we continue in our series on Jonah. The first two weeks have been tremendous. First, we talked about how this is literally an account of events that happened in the Bible, that Jonah so often gets caught up in a bunch of interpretive methods that label it a parable, an allegory, a morality tale. And yes, the book has those elements in it, but as we talked about in the first week, the mentions in the New Testament, the mentions in the Old Testament. If you cannot prove the historicity of Jonah, you have a hard time proving virtually anything else in the Bible. He's mentioned by Jesus himself. We then moved on to talk about God's sovereignty in this book, his love, his infinite patience with Jonah amid his rebellion. While it would be easy to assume that Jonah is some kind of new believer or immature person or cultural believer, he had depth, which makes his story that much more compelling. This is not a situation where an immature person acted immaturely. This is a situation where someone who had legitimate leadership abilities and potential could still show great disobedience and immaturity in the face of being asked to do something he really didn't want to do. Within Jonah, we see his prejudices, his motives, and his inability to let God be in control. Last week, we looked at Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, and in it we saw a rich depth of amazing scriptural knowledge that he knew through his spiritual journey in that belly of the fish. We see his attitude shift from that of complete rebellion to that of submission and acceptance to where he yields to God and agrees to do what is commanded of him. In terms of literature, I would be hard-pressed to find a more disgusting end to a chapter where it literally, in picking up in verse 10, says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. (laughs) That is highly descriptive and almost too much information, but it is fitting of the circumstance that Jonah created for himself. So now we pick up in chapter 3, and we are set to behold one of the most amazing revivals in the history of mankind. When you look at someone who has perhaps been an evangelist, a pastor, someone who is a, a missionary, when you think of the results that you would dream or the harvest that you would see in your life of ministry, you'd be hard-pressed to find something that rivals chapter 3. Yet it happens in the most unlikely way with the most unlikely person amid the most unlikely circumstances. And so we pick up in chapter 3, and it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I will tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. 
Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonas sat out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's it, folks. Pause for a second. That's, that's the whole message. Picking up in verse 5, let's see what happens. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took on his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree to Nineveh. And in that decree, he basically affirms God and repents. Picking up in verse 10, he saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Thus ends chapter 3, and frankly, one of the most amazing revivals in the history of Christendom. One that myself or anybody else would be envious to pull off. And I think that's, again, another teaching moment for those of us in ministry. It is our eloquence or our heart or our talent that allows us to you know, preach the gospel. In this situation, this man had to be coerced, but God used it. And isn't it funny how that's how the mission of God works sometimes? It's not about us. It's about him. So when you think about the Missio Dei or the mission of God and its presence even in the Old Testament, where you see at that point beginnings of what will be realized in the New Testament, you have to understand that the foundation of it is the fact that we are beneficiaries and participants in his mission, but it is his mission. He can use anyone at any time to do anything that he so desires. And it shows in this instance. When you look at going to Nineveh, you would think of all of the obstacles that would be obvious. The, the people group is not ideal. The circumstances are not ideal. It is absolutely daunting what God is asking him to do. The city is intimidating. But let's see what the biggest thing standing in the way of God's mission in Jonah is. It is Jonah himself. See, standing in the way of this mission are not the typical obstacles, but a reluctant prophet. William Dubrell observes that Jonah's prophetic tone alludes to Elijah chapter 4. Jonah and Elijah exhibit many parallels, and God extends similar grace to each prophet. Both men fled from God, and both men faced death. Both men fell into a deep sleep. They both sat under a tree, and they both asked to die. Finally, both men were associated in a 40-day activity. In both cases, God holds each prophet accountable to fulfill his mission. He rejects all excuses and attempts to avoid their calling. One other thing God rejects is Jonah's Israelite particularism. God's grace extends to all nations, and Jonah as a prophet was responsible for sharing that message. Unlike Jonah, the Ninevites received their mercy with gratitude. Well, Jonah took it for granted. Both the Jews and the pagans needed God's grace in this story. The Ninevites needed to repent, but so did Jonah. 
The circumstances pointed out that Israelites could not exclusively lean upon their favored status as God's chosen nation for his grace and mercy. This book demonstrates that God calls us all to repentance. He heard the prayers of pagans in the ship and within the city. One scholar noted the very thing that preserves the Jewish nation as God's people may in fact interfere with their ability to serve as an example to the other nations. On the outside, Jonah represents many of the qualities that would make an excellent prophet or missionary. He possessed a vast knowledge about God and his scriptures, and his background warranted an introduction in 2 Kings 14.25. The book of Jonah features many quotations of Psalms and other Old Testament texts, demonstrating Jonah's likely qualifications as a prophet, all except his willingness. Jonah's example demonstrates that even learned followers of God require obedience to be effective. This contradiction led a scholar to say that the prophet Jonah may be the loneliest man in the Hebrew Bible. Remarkably, God's mission continued despite Jonah's rebellion. In Jonah chapter 1, as the prophet's disobedience continues, God uses him among the Gentile sailors to move them from a factual awareness of God to a reverential awe. Their fear moves from an elementary theory in verse 5 to a fear of the divine messenger in verse 10. And finally, to fear Jonah's God in verse 16. The sailors set the tone of the book's central theme, reaction to the word by the Gentiles. In contrast to lengthy accounts of reluctance and defiance, Jonah's eventual obedience to God and ministry into Nineveh is limited to three verses. Jonah's fulfillment of his calling comes from a sense of obligation, not sincerity. Jonah's message was simple, concise, and effective. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. This one-sentence sermon demonstrates how God, not Jonah, is the central figure of the story. The subsequent repentance, revival, and restoration that follows in Nineveh came from God, not the disobedience or the compulsory compliance of Jonah. Once readers acknowledge God's character and mission as the central theme, then the moral lesson of Jonah can be understood within its context. Jonah's resentment and self-pity offer an unflattering view of humanity in their relationship with God. Readers cannot fully comprehend Jonah's pride, resentment, and prejudice until these actions are juxtaposed with God's infinite mercy. Amid miraculous events, Jonah not only misses the greatness of God exhibited through the supernatural means, but he also misses God's character. Carrie Wall summed up this point, says, The book of Jonah teaches a lesson the prophet himself had not learned about God's tender mercy. Friend, I want to talk to you today about God's tender mercy. There's a reason I wanted to start the year with the book of Jonah. In times that are so conflicted and at odds with one another, it's easy to pass judgment. It's easy to inflate our own self-worth and even our contribution to the kingdom of God. As we pour through this book and learn from the text, we see sometimes our heart can resemble that of Jonah. 
Sometimes it appears the longer we're Christians, the more we forget that once upon a time, we were completely separated from God. And his grace extended to us the same way it extends to anybody else. That we are no more deserving of that grace as anyone else. And that attitude and that ethic needs to live in our life every single day as we interact with our culture, as we interact with our families. If we exude a posture of haughtiness or being better than others, that will end up being a barrier to the gospel. If we can look at people through the eyes that we ourselves needed that grace and we want to share that with them, our ability to be patient and used by God goes up exponentially. So as we look at this snapshot of what would normally could be considered to be one of the most successful missionary attempts in the history of civilization, we have to learn a lesson on whose mission is it, what is our role, and what are our motives. Friend, I hope today finds you well. I hope that you'll be able to glean from this, that the results come from God. It is his mission, not ours. We play a role, but he is the one who determines our effectiveness. And if we will walk in obedience to him, that even a disobedient servant with a poor attitude such as Jonah can yield this kind of effect just simply from relenting. How much can God use our obedience even amid difficulties to accomplish what he will? Friend, I hope that today you'll have a chance to share your faith, that you'll be blessed by this. Realize that God's mercy extends to you and I hope the days that come that that mercy can extend through us to those who need it most. Thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you on the next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio. Key Radio.